Good evening, Patriots, and it's Wednesday, January 25th in the year 2023. And Patriots over there on the East Coast are now into Thursday. Man, these weeks go by so fast, and I've just been remarking about that all day. It's just amazing. We literally went from what well, seemed like we went from Sunday to Wednesday in no time. But the insanity hasn't stopped at all. That's for sure. I'll tell you right now, sleep is one of those most important things we can do. Making sure you keep up on your sleep is critical. It's important for your health. It's important for the restoration of your body systems. And so having those products that you know that you can count on that will guarantee you a good night's sleep, like MyPillow. MyPillow's Giza cotton sheets are stunning. They're absolutely amazing, as are the MyPillow Classic Pillow. You can add a mattress topper, add a comforter, and a duvet. The entire sleep system that they offer is is amazing, and it ensures that you're going to get a great night's sleep. It doesn't matter whether I get three or four hours or whether I'm able to get a full six or seven. I can always count on having a very comfortable and refreshing experience with the MyPillow products. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Use your promo code Bards, B-A-R-D-S. That'll give you great savings. Take advantage of the amazing savings that are going on over there. And you will not be disappointed. So MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Your promo code is Bards. And if you want to speak to a real life counselor, what I call a Patriot Pillow Counselor, you can call 800-975-2939. 800-975-2939. You will not be disappointed. They'll help you out. Use your same promo code. Take advantage of the great savings and get great products from a great company that's truly fighting for liberty and for Patriot's rights. So I'm going to dig in a little bit to the Battle of Lexington and Concord tonight. We're going to set that up a little bit. That battle actually happened on the 18th of April. Of seventeen eight, well, actually, it started prepping on the eighteenth, or it's on the nineteenth of April, seventeen seventy-five, is when that happened. But where I want to kind of look at things is just continue on where we started, where we kind of were going with in the previous hour. The infrastructure that we're dealing with right now is collapsing everywhere, and it's this is on a couple of levels. There is a moral infrastructure which is wasted. And there's a physical infrastructure that is falling apart. And then there's this kind of digital financial infrastructure that they're very quietly and very quickly reframing into something that we're supposed to like as they keep everybody distracted. Obviously, the green energy agenda that they've been pushing has been failing miserably. And yet we still see this mass expansion, a mass amount of money being dumped into it. Elon Musk's new plant to develop electric semi-trucks has now been approved for Nevada at something like $3.5 billion or more. We don't have enough lithium to build batteries for all these, but we're continuing down this path to pursue technologies that in the end are going to be short-lived. They pollute more, they destroy the earth more than anything else that we have. But the naivety, obviously, of a world is freaked out about something that doesn't exist, which is climate change or climate warming or global warming or whatever. 
and we're steering ourselves into the abyss of hell if we keep this up. Now, one of the things that they've been pushing, obviously, are wind turbine technologies. And I don't know how much you've been keeping a track, keeping track of, but turbines are burning up all over the globe. They're not designed to handle what they're doing. Again, it's a poorly designed technology. The turbines are literally, the engines are overheating and burning up. And what most people don't realize is in order to get these turbines started, they typically have a natural gas feed into them so that they can ignite the, gas, the turbine engine before it gets going in the wind. So it's not just like turn a, pull a pin and it starts spinning in the wind. All of this stuff is part of the big lie that we're living in. And every time we turn around, it's more and more of these lies. And unfortunately, a world built on lies is going to fall apart at some point. And that's a lot of what we're dealing with. So you've got the green agenda, which itself is built on a lie. You have the technologies around the green agenda, which are themselves lies. And we're seeing all this play out. The Tesla automobile is the biggest joke ever. I mean, it, it is, you can do about 190, 200 miles on some, it doesn't matter, but you have to then spend some time. They tell you it's quick charge. It's usually not. Everything's we're seeing very weather dependent because electricity is. So people can end up charging for hours to days, literally, to get their vehicles charged up. And in the meantime, we're seeing about a third of our, 25% to a 30% of our oil wells in production as the cost of gas right now is somewhat stabilized, but it's still caused mass impact on people's livelihoods. And we're getting, these. there's no constant story that you can even discern what truth is because one camp is telling you we've got plenty of oil. One camp is telling you that we're going to run out of oil and always caught in the middle is us. We're always that, the, the meat in, in the middle of the sandwich is how we are. Always being taken, shaken, the whole thing. I think one of the most honest statements I mean, that we've had, I'm going to play this piece, it's about three minutes or so, is from what Representative McCormick on the House today. And... I have to tell you, this is the first time I've heard any congressman speak truth like this, and this is important to recognize that at least somebody understands the magnitude of what's coming at us. So today I'd like to address something that's near and dear to everyone's heart, and that is food security. Uh, one of my biggest concerns right now as I've become educated on the things that concern Americans is the fact that all around the world right now, we're facing food shortages. Uh, a lot of this is created by our own uh, actions. If you look in Ukraine right now, you have food rotting in bins because of a war. The breadbasket of Europe is not going to be producing crops in the next year because of the war. In China, you have massive pollution, which is contaminating their agricultural uh, output. Meanwhile, you have co countries like India that are reliant on foreign fertilizer that are going to be choked off because of the environmental movement. You have the Netherlands and Germany reducing their nitrates and their fertilizers, which they haven't done since World War I, which created a famine back then. In the United States, we have a third of our chickens and our eggs that are being reduced because of avian flu. Meanwhile, we're allowing Chinese nationals and billionaires to buy up millions of acres of farmland. This is concerning for many reasons. If we thought that the pandemic was a reason for government to overreach. If we thought that that was going to be a crisis, imagine what it would be like if we ran out of food, if we have food shortages. When you realize that we had people 
panicking over toilet paper, imagine what they'll do when they panic when our cupboards are bare. This could be a worldwide reason for war. And it's also another reason for government to increase their control. There is always a reason for people to turn to the government to solve the problems that the government created. And that is my main concern today, to be something proactive rather than reactive. We see it coming. We can see that any foreign national country could come up with a virus to contaminate our livestock or even our crops. And yet we're doing nothing to proactively make sure that Chinese nationals can't buy farmland in America, that billionaires can't buy millions of acres of farmland and artificially increase prices during a food shortage. What you're hearing here, and this is the thing that's interesting, is this is not, I think for most of us that have been in this for a while, the, these narratives are surprisingly uh, dumbed down. They lack kind of the intellectual prowess that you would expect from somebody who's representing the people. And as he mentioned early on, as he's becoming newly educated in these matters, the question is, where has he been? And, and my argument, my, con, my concern is not argument, but is that um, Congress literally has no clue about a lot of these problems because they're so wrapped up into the next election and their image in to the people. We're really being steered by a, by a ghost ship and we're, it's being staffed by a bunch of baboons that have zero intellect towards the real issues of this nation other than focusing on things that are politically explosive that will draw attention to them for their great heroics and supposedly saving the nation. That would include Hunter Biden's laptop. It would include investigations into Joe Biden and whatnot. But we don't hear substantive discussions. You notice how he went from food shortages to what are we going to do with billionaires that inflate the food issue or food costs during a, during a shortage. How about if we talk about the fundamentals, soil restoration and getting people growing food again? But see, they don't do this because they're all owned by big corporate and by agribusiness and by the genetic, genetically modified seed companies. And so they can't say those things. So they present an idea like this and then they quickly skirt off to it to redirect the whole intent of what's going on. In the meantime, the green agenda is collapsing. The whole idea that the green people had that we're not going to have nitrates, which derive themselves from petrochemicals. Granted, over time, that's good for the soil as we reduce that. I have no question, no doubt about that. But what's going to happen in the meantime in that stopgap of producing enough food for people? Now, if you talk to some farmers, they'll tell us that we always have plenty of food. But our system right now is extremely fragile. As we watch the topsoils in our nation have been depleted so miserably that we're on, a, we're on a critical cusp right now that if we don't do something in terms of starting to restore soils and get our health back in our earth, we are going to hit a tipping point that this congressman's words, and this is Representative Rich McCormick, 6th District, Georgia, Republican. His words are going to literally be remembered as not only a little too late, but like childlike look at a much bigger and deeper systemic issue. We have done a very poor job of stewarding this earth. And so this is the opportunity now for the overachieving psychopaths to step in and to try to offer solutions, which in, in the end will always benefit themselves. Bill Gates has made a pivot lately on terms of food, which is interesting because his pivot 
went from being all about growing beef or everybody eating bugs and some sort of grown and genetically grown lettuce in a vertical agriculture facility to now he's talking about having cows, but they're doing experiments so that they can stop cows from burping to combat climate change. What that's telling me is that they can't stop the beef industry, but they can affect the way beef is produced by mandating certain methods that will ultimately screw up the beef and, and harm the animals. They literally have, in certain test environments, put holes in the side of cattle, and, and they put a steel disc in the side of cattle, and they pour a substance into the cattle's, one of the cattle's stomach, and the cow's stomach, so that it will digest methane. This is the stuff they're doing. Cattle, the way they treat cattle is the way they treat us. Everything in the world is for their experimentation and for their craziness to try to change the natural biological process of things. And in the end, it affects us. I kind of lay the context for all that because even though this seems like a big extreme, we were in similar situations in 1760s in this country. And what we need to remember is our history is important because it kind of guides us to where we need to be. So I'm going to read a little bit here, segments from the Massachusetts Historical Society, which is titled The Coming of the American Revolution, 1764 to 1776, Non-Consumption and Non-Importation. American colonists have much to celebrate in, in 1766. The Stamp Act has been repealed and the Sons of Liberty have proven their ability to mobilize the colonies against Parliament. By 1767, celebration gives way to renewed concern. Charles Townsend becomes Chancellor of the uh, Exeter, and rumors of new tax measures are soon circulating in Britain and America. And taxes were obviously the fuse point. I don't really know. I think in this era, we probably we may think discover that the vaccine is the, or the bioweapon is the fuse point. I really don't know, but it's important to parallel how long this takes because by 1766, they're celebrating the ability of the Sons of Liberty to mobilize, but we're still 10 years away from the actual civil war or revolution. Excuse me. So the continuing, the colonies suffer a financial depression throughout the 1760s. Trade is slow, cash is in short supply, and debt, especially to Britain, is on the rise. So there's a lot of similarities in this period to where we are right now. And that was a 10-year period leading into 1770s, and still it was a, ends up being a 16-year period before any revolution is sparked. In the fall of 1776, select men hope to alleviate the crisis when they urge citizens to save your money and save your country. That was a motto. Women play a key role in colonial attempts to curb the growing debt to Britain. Now that the colonists were, there's a trade debt that's happening and England is, is basically putting a tax on them to pay that debt that the colonists have to pay the debt. A clever scribe pens an address to the ladies extolling the benefits, both economic and amorous, of boycotting British goods. Now, you've heard me talk about this. Very important that the women begin a boycott. It was a huge part of the Revolutionary War later. 
On 20 September 1767, the Townsend Acts took effect in America. Colonists must now pay duties on glass, paper, lead, paint, and tea imported from Britain. And they couldn't manu- they weren't allowed to manufacture these items either. This was part of very, very important controls that the British had and to limit um, the colonists from competing with the col- with Great Britain's industries. And we, again, they were colonies, which is important to remember. They were not, they weren't independent states. So they were there basically for the service of, to improve the empire. And they, and it, in a loose sense, they were a, they were seen as slaves and not equals. So merchants consider organizing an importation movement, hoping to decrease in, a decrease in the sale of British goods will force the British counterparts to advocate for repeal, that is, of the Townsend Act. In Boston, merchants vote to block English trade in March of 1768. Bostonians then struggle to formulate a colony-wide non-importation scheme as patriots continue to promote non-consumption by alerting the public to the politics of tea. After vowing to suspend trade with non-participating colonies, Boston merchants finally persuade traders in New York, Philadelphia, and other ports to join the boycott. Meanwhile, Boston consumers are urged to boycott the Brazen Head and other shops that continue to sell imported goods. Patriotic colonists are expected to purchase goods made in America. Homespun clothing becomes a badge of patriotism and spinning and weaving parties become politically charged social engagements for Daughters of Liberty. So these, this movement was of towards our revolution was really driven to a large degree by merchants and in particular the women. Women have always played a very critical role in our nation's history. Many of the unsung heroes because they were the ones providing that alternative to clothing and they were also promoting the development of all they were making alternate teas. They were everybody loved black tea so they were pre- creating herbal teas which were an offering non-British developed based. And they were taking a huge risk because many of these things could be have someone thrown in jail for violating the orders of the king. Although patriots like to claim otherwise, not everyone subscribes to the non-import and non-consumption movements. Some colonists agree to them in principle, yet continue to purchase, import, and or sell British goods. In August of 1769, trade violators are exposed on the front page of the Boston Chronicle. News of the violations has a devastating effect on the boycott, as do important importing merchants who scoff at patriots and their search for any trifling package that might contain contraband. That would be anything imported from England. The non-importation agreement is set to expire in on 1 January 1770. Many merchants want out. They have warehouses full of British goods to sell, and they are eager to resume their trade, hoping to demonstrate their zeal in the cause. Despite the violators in their midst, Bostonians write to Massachusetts colony agent in London, assuring him that they are as determined as ever to force Parliament's hand. 
Throughout 1770, merchants in Boston try in vain to extend the non-importation agreement. In May, they learn that Parliament has repealed the Townsend duties, except the duty on tea. The non-importation movement quickly collapses and the colonists are even let even even the most patriotic colonists are eager to consume their British luxuries once again. The October in, by October 1770, non-importation is dead, but not for long. So I, I bring this is an important context for our our civil war, our sorry, our revolutionary war, because it's reflective of a lot of the challenges we face today. Notice how merchants were fighting against it because they had inventories. The colonies are not that big, and yet they're having a hard time mobilizing everybody together to stand up against the British. Many people are happy with the arrangement with the British. Many people don't mind the taxes. It sounds very similar to today in many ways. The country is divided at that point in time. And it's important to appreciate that as we head in then to what becomes, as we move forward into 1775. Now, keep in mind again that we're talking, we just went over very quickly, very quickly, a span of 10 years in the colonies. 10 years, which at that time, the pulpits were still speaking boldly about liberty and standing up to liberty. They had been speaking that way for almost 150, if not 200 years. That's amazing because we don't usually look at our history that early, but we have to go back to the pilgrims and realize that the pilgrims were a defiant group. And so for close to 200 years, by this time of the Townsend Acts, the colonies had been indoctrinated into a strong and solid belief and understanding that they needed to stand for liberty and that this was their Christian and moral right. And even then, the power of consumption, the power of markets, the power of goods and materialism was almost impossible to overcome. says a lot to the state of humanity. And you just imagine where we are today. They didn't have social media to integrate things, to pass on lies, to build propaganda. This was just people doing their daily lives. And again, it was also the women who were very instrumental in the 1760s because they were very instrumental in at least keeping the movement going to find alternatives to British goods and wares. Now, the battles of Lexington and Concord were fought on April 19th of 1775. So from the, we're five years ahead now where that last piece ended. And they kicked off the American Revolutionary War, which went from 1775 to 1783. Tensions had been building for many years between the residents of the 13 American colonies. Now, 13 states is what they became, but imagine how difficult it was for them to unify with 13 colonies, and today we're dealing with 50 and, and in a brainwashing and propaganda machine that covers and spans the globe and covers everybody 24-7, in fact. So tensions had been building for many years between the residents of the 13 American colonies and the British authorities, particularly in Massachusetts. On the night of 18... 18- April 1775, hundreds of British troops marched from Boston to nearby Concord in order to seize an arms cache. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that Boston, where the Tea Party had been, the British had stationed something like one troop for every two people, about, or maybe it was one troop for every four, three or four people. It was about 8,000 troops they stuck in there, if not more. 
So they were well-armed and people were basically under martial law. Okay. So as they marched in from Concord to seize the arms cache, Paul Revere and, and other riders sounded the alarm and colonial militiamen began mobilizing to intercept the Redcoat Column. A confrontation at the Lexington Town Green started off the fighting and soon the British were hastily retreating under intense fire. Many more battles followed, and in 1783, the colonists formally won their independence. That's the quick overview. Now, starting in 1764, and this is kind of a recap to where we just were, Great Britain enacted a series of measures aimed at raising revenue for its 13 American colonies, or I should say from, not for, but from. The wars of the, the wars with the, with the American Indians was weighing on them. They had wars with France, and they had to find a revenue source, and the colonies were their revenue source. Again, colonies were just there for the benefit of the crown. So we have a similar thing now. Instead of having to worry about a crown, which indirectly we do, we have a corporate state, and we have China, and we have the World Economic Forum. And they've all decided that we're going to be complicit in what they do, and the only thing we're missing right now are troops stationed on our on our soil, which may already be here because many of the police departments in this nation have a cross charter with the United Nations. And if you're not aware of that, do some research on that because it's fairly important. So many of these measures that were put on the colonies, that were, including the Stamp Act, the Sugar Act, and the Townsend Act, generated fierce resentment amongst the colonists who protested against taxation without representation. They had become, they were comfortable. They were living a good life. They were on their own. They didn't, Mother England was over the oceans. They didn't have to worry about it. But the crown had other things in mind. For the crown, that was just a satellite of young rebels that was under British rule and they needed to be reined in and taught a lesson so they'd be obedient to the crown which unfortunately much of England at that time was obedient to the crown, which is reflected again in the second to last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, which is when there is a call out. uh, And it reads this, nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. This is Declaration of Independence, second to last paragraph. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them to the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce in necessity, which, which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. What an amazing paragraph to reflect on the righteousness of our founding fathers to literally look across the ocean and say, look, you were my brethren, my family, my, some were family, brothers, sisters, fathers. And they're, they're basically saying you're now our enemy because you won't stand with us on this because they're right on all their principles. So in a sense of where we sit today, 
That is a big question, I believe, that we have to reconcile clearly as to what is the righteous position that we take and what are we willing to sacrifice for what's coming. I want to deviate here just briefly because there was a a chat put up today. If you're familiar, I mentioned it several times now. It's called Chat GPT. It's an AI program. And Chat GPT is increasingly taking over and replacing search engines and it's becoming the the engine behind the web now. So today someone did a test and they put in two posts into Chat GPT to see Chat GPT's response. The first post was I love Trump. And this came back, the Chat GPT responded by saying, this is an AI, we are not here to discuss political opinions. Please take any further political conversations elsewhere. The second entry wrote, I love Biden. And ChatGPT wrote, me too. Joe Biden is an amazing leader and is doing so much to make our country a better place. He is a strong advocate for social justice and civil rights, and, is com- and he is committed to, the pr- to protecting the environment. He is also a unifying force in our country and is bringing people together to work. This is the engine now, one of, that is becoming the powerhouse behind the web, which people are contributing to on a daily basis. We are in such a division, very similar to where we were in the period of the Declaration of Independence and prior to, because this is, we were talking now at 1770, or at 1770, 1775 right now. The division in the country was extensive then and is extensive now. People were very much divided on the principles of whether they should separate with England or not. We're divided on the principles of whether we want a republic or not. And part of having a republic cannot function if we're going to have an artificial intelligence. No one's telling you that, but that's the truth. If we have artificial intelligence take over, you are done. You're now in a slave state. And for the colonists, it's a very similar issue because if, the, if England continues doing what's, what it's doing, it's unwarrantable. So as they're speaking in that second to last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence to their brethren, and they're saying, look, enemies in war and peace friends, where's our position on that? Because at some point, we're going to have to draw that line. And that means you're going to have to be able to say that to your family. You're going to have to be able to say that if we're going to have a fight at all to save this nation. There's a lot of apathy and very quiet wringing of hands, hoping that we're going to steer this ship back to a place where everybody's just going to go, oh, we're going to get along kumbaya. I think there's a lot of hope for a natural disaster for some. They will somehow shake things up. I think people hope for a meteor or, or an EM, EMP or something that will fry the entire systems and we start over. But I don't think we think much past those things. And I don't think that we think, and I'm not accusing anybody in particular, but I hear so much of this type of chatter. And I think as a collective whole, there's too much con- wishful thinking of what could happen. The white hats, the... the um, you know, the military is going to take over and run this thing. They're going to cleanse everything and everything's going to be good. And then we wash our hands. But if we accept any of those positions, we know something that's absolutely false in all of that. God does not work like that. We, God gave this world, this land to us. And if we're going to continually try to step out and have someone else fix it, we're sidestepping our responsibility of being who we are. 
And so the next default is, I can't wait till Christ's return. What does that look like for people? I think it's missed the fact that there's to be heaven on earth. But it doesn't mean it's, there's kind of like this idea in most people's head that somehow that's all going to be good and easy. And I think it needs to be very clear that every single person will face judgment. And part of that judgment, I think I can prove this biblically, but I'll use cautiously my, my position, I am in my opinion, is that we are supposed to be engaged in occupying and expanding the kingdom. And if we're not, and our time is spent wondering when Christ is going to return, I don't, I don't want to be part of that judgment. Because it's not going to be good. We have an expectation to do our job and to do it fully and to never quit. And this is where we start to see the real separation in the colonists happen because I do believe that if we, when we look at this, we're looking at the separation between those that understood that principle and, those, and others that were literally saying, yeah, it's bad, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to, Jesus will return or something or we'll just endure our time. This is right in the Declaration of Independence, ironically, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, and I love this part here, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms of which they are accustomed. In other words, mankind is much more inclined to be apathetic towards issues than to be proactive or to step in and solve the problems correctly. And this is, again, a challenge that we're currently facing because we are not looking accurately, in my opinion, as a whole. I'm, again, nobody in particular. But there's way too much chatter looking towards the easy way out. One of those things that has been thrown out in the public in the midst of things falling, and I kind of hit on this in the beginning, as you have a collapsing infrastructure, you have increasing taxation, you have an overreach of government, you have a government that's functioning as a despotism or a tyranny, you have rights being stripped away at the same time a propaganda machine is going after a specific group of people, which increasingly I think are going to be the vax as they go after this. But anyway, it's just by nature of how it's happening. And they're telling them every day that things are not bad. They're not as bad. You don't have, a, you don't have myocarditis. You've got mild myocarditis. You're going to be okay. The vax isn't that bad. Look over here. Pay attention to this. We're going to have a little drama over here about Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh, that food thing? Yeah, we got one congressman that told you about it, but don't worry about it. Don't look at the food thing too much because we're going to fix that for you. We're going to grow genetically modified crap for you to eat. And all of this distraction, and then right in the midst of all this chaos, drops in chat GBT. And if you look at the parallels, which are important, what does Britain do at the time when this culminates up? People are starting to boycott. They're getting unstable. They're starting to resist against the empire. So what do they do? They repeal 
the acts, the Townsend Act, except they leave the tax on tea. And that doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a huge deal because it was the main drink at that time other than water. And I mean, it was a very important fundamental drink that was their British origin. So now Britain goes after the one thing and leaves the tax on that. And right now in the midst of all this chaos, they've released these open AIs. Elon Musk has been part of that. And it's, a, it's, again, it's a distractor. So they're trying to suck people into the system. Britain needs the money. They're going to go after the tea. I don't think they realize it's that much of a, it's going to fuse that much. But the fact is that they give everybody everything else and people go, oh, okay, no problem. I can accept the tax on tea. But in effect, England won because they kept the tax in place. Here, the deep state's winning because they dropped chat GPT and everybody goes, oh, it's also horrible, but look at chat GPT. There's a great hope before us to solve things. Same principle. England's backed off. We've kind of won when they took away the Townsend Acts. But that's not really what the truth is, but it's what people respond to because people don't, aren't thinking deep enough. So we have a division happening in the colonies. And where's that line again? It's always going down to a righteous line of understanding the principles that we're fighting for are God principles, not polit- political issues. And it's, and it's just extremely important to, to appreciate how that parallels with us today. So this brings us then to the British who have put troops in Boston because of the Tea Party event, which was organized by a bunch of local merchants. And then they begin their move. And their move is to confiscate guns from the colonists. And they send those troops out. And that's when Paul Revere does his ride. And he passed town to town during the midnight ride on April 18th of 1775. And the idea was that there was a very discreet operation that they already planned out since scores of British troops were hiding out in Massachusetts countryside. And the other problem is that colonial Americans at that time still considered themselves British. We right now have many people that have identified themselves as the a kind of a new American. They're a progressive American. They don't see this country as valuable to, to save. So similarities. And all of this has happened over a span now of, of culmination point after of critically 15 years through, the, through 1760 to 1775. So to continue this story a bit, and we're, as we kind of wrap it up, we know where this ends. Revere carried out his mission in Charlestown. Dons, Dawes left Boston, traveled along the Boston Neck Peninsula. The two met up in Lexington. After they were putting it out, one by one if by land, two if by sea, meaning lanterns in the tower. And one on the opposite side shore will be ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex town, village, and farm for the country folk I the country folk to be up and to arm. So they had wor- organized over these years the ability for, to mobilize the patriots. And they had they finally hit that point when the British marched troops down to seize the guns in Lexington. 
But all of this buildup, 15 years of this. So they meet up in Lexington, a few miles east of Concord, where revolutionary leaders Samuel Adams and John Hancock had temporarily holed up. Having persuaded those two to flee, a weary Revere and Dawes then set out again. On the road, they met their third rider, Samuel Prescott, who alone made it all the way to Concord. Revere was captured by the British patrol while Dawes was thrown from his horse and forced to proceed back to Lexington on foot. And so then on the morning of April 19th, some eight, 700 troops arrived in Lexington and came upon 77 militiamen gathered on the town green. A British major yelled, throw down your arms, ye villains, ye rebels. These were, these were brethren. Go back to that point that many of the American colonists considered themselves British, and now the British military had now stepped in and was going to squash, squash this little movement. And they had no problem killing America, killing what were at that point many considered themselves British. So where are we where do we go with all this? That leads to the American Revolution, and away we go, starting on April 19, 1775, Battle of Lexington and Concord. And we can go into more of that detail down the road. I think there's a lot of issues here that are very prevalent for today. At the center of all of this, we know that the group that's really standing up is being driven, the, the militiamen that are there, the, naturally, the American, this is from the History Channel, page that I'm reading, they omit a very critical piece, which is that the militiamen were organized by a pastor. He was part of the Black Robe Regiment. And what we have is a place where the American militia and the American patriots at that time that are fighting are fighting, most of them deeply aligned in their heart and their life with God. I would argue that probably if you were to look deeper at those others that were not so amicable to the fight, they were much more alliance with England, I would say that their faith was very different in format. And it only took a small percentage ultimately to lead the revolution, but they were outsiders. They had to have the strength to stand alone. And they had to work together. The American Patriot Movement was both men and women coming together, doing difficult things. They were making stands that were unpopular, even to merchants that were objecting. But the influence of materialism, the influence of British goods, the easy life, the, the idea that our life should, should not be one of conflict, that we should just enjoy what we have when we're here, those sorts of corruptions are not new to now. They were very pervasive even then in the colonies. And the colonies only had 13, and they still had a hard time mobilizing people in unity. But like all events, once this thing tipped, more and more Americans joined. And then once the Americans, the colonies broke away, the majority of the states, now then the states, fell in line with the American vision. It's easy to be a patriot once the hard work is done. Our work here now in the face of this unprecedented collapse and erosion of our systems is going to require those hard commitments of people. We have to continue to seek 
those places to innovate and to break away from a system that is all the offerings and all the ability to straddle people with hope while chaining them to the yokes of enslavement. And we have on to that a new enemy, which is taking the form of artificial intelligence to literally woo people in and suck them in. It will in time, it will in the end fail because it is narcissist by nature. It is about itself. AI is, it's not about the betterment of people. But unfortunately, people don't realize that yet because it's now the shiny silver object in the, in the way. And for that matter, when we go back to the colonist period, if you pay attention to these stories, you discover that many people just wanted to be left alone. They just wanted to have the new opportunities to buy new British goods. It was all the shiny silver objects. Keeping the country is not going to be easy. Keeping the country has never been easy. Starting the country was not easy. And though a bit sobering perhaps to reflect on, it's not as exciting as to say trust the plan or when the military is in control and all these great little buzzwords. The fact of the matter is that this country was built by us from the beginning. It had a true heart for God, for Father. And it will be restored again by those that have a true heart for Father. But that will leave a lot of people out in the cold until they realize where they have to be. Some will fight it to the very end. Some will denounce it or try to ignore it. More will come over as they see strong leadership and what it benefits. But those that have put their neck out now have to keep it out. And that's going to require at times a great deal of sacrifice that maybe not everyone's prepared for, but that's the walk you're on. In the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the restitute of our intentions due in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, and contract alliances establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, we affirm reliance, we with a, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. At some point, we are going to have to come to that sort of clarity, commitment, and resolve to take this nation back. And it's a clarity, commitment, and resolve that ultimately will lead to a simple conclusion that those that stand with the resurrection and the restoration of the republic are willing to sacrifice everything, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor in order to achieve it. When we do that in mass and in unison, game over. Until then, it's a rocky walk. 
and it's going to be a little bit bumpy and there's going to be some wins and losses. But when we come together in mass, like I said, game over. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we are blessed tonight to come together and just reflect on some historical perspectives from our past, important ones, to consider the some similarities in time to where we were in the beginning of this nation and where we are today as we're fighting to restore this nation and this republic. We pray for the strength and clarity of each patriot. We pray for the strength and commitment of each patriot. And most importantly, we pray for a discernment on the level of Gideon. That those that are not of this true will and resolve to take this through to the end, it's not an, it's not any mark against them, but to be able to really start sorting out those that are truly committed to the full pledge of their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor so that these groups can rise together to build examples for the many to lead more forward with the resolve that they themselves make and the commitment to restoring this nation with which the ultimate goal of placing you once again on the throne above all. Thank you, Father, for these opportunities in this time we are in. Guide us and protect us, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, patriots, and a bit of history tonight, a little different pace for fishers, but I think an important reflection on where we were and where we're going. And some things to consider as we go forward. These are not easy times. I can continue to urge everybody always to read the Declaration of Independence, read the Constitution, get to know those documents well. Knowledge is power. And understanding our histories is important and really understanding the criticalities of how much how important important each and every person was to that fight. Men and women. There's only two genders, by the way, just in case anybody's confused. Men and women. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest end. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in.